Welcome to Never Rewrite. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to discuss what happens when your company goes into shrink mode. So most companies, or not most companies, but the there's a roller coaster of good times and bad times. And you know, your company can have bad times and good times and good times and bad times. But things are getting not great out there in the software world. And so we thought we'd do a show about what happens when you're in a growing company and it shifts from growth mode to stable mode or even worse, shrink mode, mm -hmm. and what that means for your career, for how you should focus at work, and you know how to handle the panic of the transition. Because it's not like the company says, oh, we were growing and now we're going to be shrinking, but don't worry about it. Like It's not a don't worry about it kind of a thing. There is reasons to worry. Got it. It seems, yeah, kind of um, relevant to the times at hand, as you mentioned, because uh, a lot of companies these days uh, seem to be having layoffs. Um, for the past year, past two years, uh, the I guess the overall financial climate has changed. And so there's a lot more investors that are scared to invest another round of money in companies. And so mm -hmm. layoffs happen. Um, is that kind of what spurred this conversation today? Yeah, I've had at least three different friends involved with layoffs mm. in the past couple of months. One friend, his company missed payroll a couple of times. Oof. You know, they eventually got the next round of funding and they made it through. But, you know, these are things. Uh, and as somebody who's been around for more than 20 years, you know, this is at least my third cycle. But there's, it's different between there's the initial panic, right? You, there's a layoff. You, no matter how well or poorly it's done, there's a panic where, okay, panic time, layoffs, who's who's gone, right? Who's gone and now who's going to have to pick up all the extra work? And what is yeah. all the extra work? And I don't have any good advice for how to get through the panic. Like it it sucks and it's terrible and I have no, no notably good advice. Uh, <laughs> what I was thinking about covering was kind of the new normal. Okay. Because you know, early on in your career, you know, if, you're, if you're an entry-level early career developer, as you get better, you pretty much automatically get promoted to senior developer. Like that's just sort of a thing. It's, it's about you and your skills. And as you get higher up, if you're in a growing company, you will continue to just get promoted at more or less the same rate because the company is growing and they need more senior people and they'll be backfilling you know, so if you if you're on a team with five people and one of them is the, the senior dev, hey, it's not going to take long if you're at a growing company before that team becomes eight people and then splits into two four people team and now there's a new opening for a senior. Right. As soon as the company switches over from growth to either stability or shrink mode, all of a sudden that there is no new senior role opening up, and there won't be. And no matter how much better you get you can only get that senior role if somebody else leaves. And that's right. a wildly different situation and scenario. Yeah, that's interesting because like, at that point, I, I can imagine as a junior developer, uh, working really hard to progress in my career and taking it personally whenever I'm not getting promotions or getting raises or you know getting to where I need to be. Um, and sometimes really it's the company, like you said, 
doesn't actually have the money to do that. They don't have a position available for you. Oftentimes they do in, in shrink mode. Of course, it's like a completely different conversation. But in shrink mode, it really is the case where you are spinning your wheels in those cases, right? Right. And that opens up two possibilities. You know, one is you have to develop the mental fortitude to divorce your skills at what you do, as a, your skills as a developer from the title that you're given. And you might have to divorce. I'm conflicted on this because for most of my career, uh, most of my career I was spent in finance and finance has very um, narrow range of titles that they give out. And so you get these, they're not wildly inflated because these are the titles that, that finance uses, but they are wildly mm -hmm. different than like what technology uses. So for a lot of my career, I was, a managing director, I was director, I was a vice president, but oh, none yeah, of these were managerial fancy. roles. <laughs> They're that's just like, well, it's that's the next rung up. It's they didn't create special titles and roles for for developers. They just like, well, no, that's the next rung up. You're you're a managing director, even if you have no reports, you're a managing director. Interesting. And so to me, I was, and I've discovered that this is actually a very privileged position. Of I was privileged. To be in a position where titles didn't matter, uh, and if you're in a more traditional finance, uh, not finance, if you're in a more startupy or just general software role, titles matter a lot more, right? And so, one thing you might want to consider if you're in a company that's static or shrinking, asking for the title with no raise, which is a gut punch. And it's a transactional exercise. So if you divorce your role, like you're, you're a developer and you're doing this well and you're like super awesome and you deserve to be promoted mm -hmm. to the senior role because you're doing senior level work or even staff level work or lead contributor level work, but they, you know, the company doesn't have the money or just, yes, you're doing the work, but we don't have any roles open for that because of the structure. It would break the structure. You can ask for the title with no raise. Like, hey, look, I, I know we can't afford it right now, but I'd like the title anyway because, you know, it's my career. Right. But I don't want to pause my career for the company. And it it is a transactional thing that you're asking for because the implied threat is, I could leave and go get this title elsewhere mm -hmm. with a raise. I'm willing to stay and I ask for the title. And then eventually you're either going to have to pay me or I'm going to leave and get the money because the title will then make that mm -hmm. even easier right. uh, into the future to get that. And so it's a, it's a hard, it's not a hard conversation, but it's a, you have to recognize that it's a transactional conversation and that that's what you're, that's what you're saying. That's what they're going to hear. And that you both need to be on the same page about it. You know, it's not so, as... Sorry. Yeah, I actually, I figured it'd be a good kind of segue here. I've heard a few times whenever um, I was younger in my career and I asked for for title changes. They're like, well, if you like it here a lot, actually, the, the title shouldn't matter. The title shouldn't matter. I've heard that a lot, especially from like VP and up, especially like C-level folks. Like... What is your response to that, given what you're saying here about like this negotiation over title and career? 
uh anyone who says that to you is full of shit and <laughs> no it, it look we don't do titles is a valid answer uh you're not ready for that title is a valid answer right i can't give you the money that that title goes with is a valid answer if, if you like it here the title shouldn't matter is not a valid answer that says that your career means nothing to me uh that i don't care about you as a like i don't care about your life outside this company i don't care about your life long term right the average length of employment's three or four years you know unless you're in your 60s this isn't your last company it's not your last job and not giving you a title because they don't want to do it is hurtful to you right that's good to have this as part of the negotiation especially if you know hey what's it killing you the company is shrinking i'm not asking for more money in this case i just want the title to help out my career what give it to me right you would say, hey, you can't give me anything else. Right? And, I, and I've worked mm -hmm. at a company that had two titles. It had software developer and it had senior software developer. And senior software developer was almost impossible to get. <laughs> but there it wasn't a case of, well, you can't, you know, what's it matter? It was, well, we only have two levels and you're not ready for the, the super, super senior level that is senior at, at this company. Sorry. Uh, and in that case, I actually tried to convince leadership to just get rid of a abolish titles, call everyone a software developer with no pay bans. And then everyone can just explain it. Oh, well, they just only had software developer. They just didn't have titles. Gotcha. So what are some other, uh, other things you'll experience in the shrink mode here besides this title negotiation? So after the panic subsides, there will be a consolidation of the work, uh, especially if it was a layoff. And what you need to start thinking through in Europe for yourself and for your team is not all of that work needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Right. If you were, you know, if there were 20 developers and they were all working hard and now there's say 15 developers, there was a 20% layoff, 25% layoff. I can math. <laughs> and right each developer does not increase their work by a third right so if you reshuffle the five developers onto the remaining 15 you, you don't there will be just a tendency of saying oh well we'll just push the one third of work more work onto each developer and we'll tell people hey you know struggle we're, we're, we've got grit let's grit and bear it it's a tough time let's do it and do more with less do more with less and like that's a okay the first week right when you're trying to you're in panic mode you don't know what to pick up you don't know what to put down yes do more with less for a week after that you know as it starts to become the new normal it's do less it's not even do less it's do the same amount and cut out the, the less valuable things mm -hmm. right the the fact that you had a layoff means that you were doing things that the market didn't value and you should stop doing them you know as quickly as possible so the things that the personal things that you need to change as a developer or manager is you need to understand the company's strategy and align yourself to it right. and then cut everything that doesn't align to the company's strategy 
So for instance, right, if there's a layoff and the CEO says, hey, you know, one thing the CEO might say is, you know, we we did a million transactions, you know, let's say you're selling widgets, right? We sold a million widgets last year and we make a dollar a widget. And now that we've had the layoff, we're going to make $2 a widget. And this will bring us up to, you know, we're actually going to be profitable now. And so this new funding level, if we can keep selling a million widgets, the company will be fine. Cool. You understand that now the company has shifted to a cut costs play, right? The, we have a product, the product is selling in sufficient numbers. If we can cut costs, growth can be flat and the company will be fine. So right. you align yourself with how do we cut costs, right? How do we automate things? How do we improve quality so that we cut the reef defect rate? Those are the kinds of things. But maybe the, the CEO says, if you're in a more startup-y place, the, the CEO says, look, we've had 10,000 signups. The next round of funding means we need to get 100,000 signups in the next three months to get the next round of funding. Mm-hmm. You know, cost efficiency is not a concern there. Don't waste any time on it because it you don't have enough runway. You don't have enough. That's not the goal. The metric isn't how much, you know, you're not trying to show that you can turn a profit. You're trying to show that you there's interest in the product. Right. So anything that you were doing that was cost efficiency wise drop. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes sense because if you don't do that, I can see a world where you already had layoffs maybe your team is operating on maybe not just your team, but multiple teams are operating on less people, skeleton crews and certain teams. Um, and so the work that was there gets reallocated. Now there's, if you don't cut those things that don't matter as much, you're overworking the people that are there. They get stressed out because they're doing double their workload. Mm. Then they go, well, I'm sure there's another company out there where I can work for and have a reasonable work hours. I'll leave. Mm-hmm. And then the team gets squeezed more. And you have this kind of domino effect of people going, oh, well, I'm, I can't operate with two people in this team. I can't be the only one. Uh, right. And then everyone just kind of brushes up the resume. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, the higher up you are, the more ability you have to impact or decide what work gets done, the more mm-hmm. responsibility you have to just look at certain things and just say, we're not doing it anymore. Right. Yeah. If you're in a cost control thing, and you were experimenting for the next version of the widget, maybe cut that. Maybe it's not time to, to you know, if it's software, it's time to switch everything to boring technologies. Don't try to figure out if the, net, if the new framework would let you guys do twice as much in <laughs> a year, right? It's, it's not worth, it's not a good, it's not a good try in the current, in that, you know, in the environment where you're trying to cut costs. It's don't experiments are expensive. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to get people to sign up and you've got a team that's working um because the databases get overloaded. Don't don't try to figure that out. Just bump up the database amount. Because for the amount of time you've got for your runway, exactly. Yeah. It's cheaper, right? Because the worst thing that could happen. Well, not the worst thing, but a, t- a bad <laughs> result would be, you know, if you've had 10,000 signups a month, investors want you to get to 100,000 signups a month and you're spending time tuning the databases and you end up with 80,000 signups a month. 
and, right. and the databases are cheaper. That's that's not going to get you that next round of investment. Yeah, you can throw money at the problem sometimes to buy that rather than throw people at the problem. So it's like, I guess, depending on how high up you are, you have to kind of take those concepts in, into consideration. Can I just go ahead and slap a quick fix on this thing? That way we can work on the features that matter that will get us to the this, uh, metrics that we're trying to hit. Mm -hmm. um, and if we can't, you know, like just what, what other things can I shuffle to make it to make it there? Right. And these are often really tense, really stressful conversations, no matter where you are, because if you're a developer, even if you're fresh out of college or fresh out of high school, even you know, the most junior developer possible, and you've survived the first layoff, and now a product manager is saying, hey, I need you to change the color of the logo. <laughs> it's very hard for you to say, okay, but how does that save, you know, if you switch to cost cutting mode, how does changing the color of our logo would help us save money? For sure. Right, that's a hard thing. That's a very confrontational question, but you have to ask it. Yeah, I can see that. A, I can see this being um, an opportunity for folks to actually, like you were saying, you should understand how your business is making money, understand the products, understand your goals. Because um, I can see that this would directly highlight uh, the bread and butter pieces of your organization, the parts that are making the money. Um, mm -hmm. And so you, you could see like a focus towards those products. So how do we make those more efficient? cut costs there, automate those areas. Um, and if you're the folks that stick around and you actually like, you know, want the thing to succeed, you've got to start asking those hard questions. Why do you want me to change this color? Why do you want me to work on this test versus that test, this feature versus that feature? Because then you can see very directly, oh, well, these are the things making us money. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we killed these product lines. All right, now I'm, I'm starting to become a bit critical about the work that I've been put on because it seems like we really need to be doing the things that are just making the business money or, or putting us in survive mode, so to speak. Right. And this, as the, as the pressure comes on, you have to remember that you are also, you know, a person, you are not the company, right? The company is not you, you are not the company. And you also have to manage things for yourself. So we talked about the you know, transactional nature of asking for a title without the raise. There are also times, depending upon how the what the kind of things are going on in the layoff, you might need to make a tactical transfer. So if you're in a big Fortune 500 company, there are always going to be divisions that are growing, and there are going to be divisions that are shrinking and, and divisions that are staying still. And you know this may sound transactional; it may sound mercenary, but if you're in a company, you know, in a big, in a division that's getting downsized mm -hmm. and there's a division that's still hiring, it is not wrong. It is not shameful to take an internal transfer to a division that could still, that isn't shrinking. Right. Like, get over the guilt or, you know, it's easy to say, do not feel, <laughs> you, you should not feel guilty. You should not feel like you are a people. Like, back up like take a different tack managers will often try to make you feel guilty for leaving right you know in a shrinking about oh things are going so bad but we you know we saved you at the last layoff and we have faith in you and we need you to help pull us through 
And, you know, maybe if you're a mission-driven company and you're doing something that has an impact that you care about, uh, but 99% of us are mostly in it for the paycheck and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can believe in the company and I can believe in the product and I could still mostly be doing it because they pay me. <laughs> you, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. It's fine. You know, there's, it's not like you're working for a spammer and yet the product is harmful. It's, Hey, I'm selling email services. Cool. It's not necessarily world changing, but it's, it's a good product and a good service and customers like it, but I'm not going to, don't let anybody tell you that you personally need to take a hit because the company is taking a hit. You know, if, if the email services division is doing bad, but the consulting services division is doing well, there's absolutely no, you should feel no guilt for transferring to the, to the consulting services. Got it. So it's more of a survivability thing too. If you think, okay, well that, I know that one's growing and that one's doing well. I don't want to be part of the next layoffs if this particular product isn't doing well because it seems like they're just trying their best to keep it and keep it rolling. Um, right. You know, there's, there's, well, it's silly to be like, I feel, I feel guilty for looking out for my best interest. It's like to be guilt tripped into thinking you, right. you're hurting the company by doing this. You're like, well, hey, I have bills to pay. <laughs> well, and I, I've seen it to me, this is an insane. It's not an argument that would resonate with me ever, mm-hmm. but I've seen it used multiple times. So I'm guessing it's me an too. argument that that does resonate this idea of guilt tripping. Remember, if there's a layoff, that is 100% a leadership management failure. They may not be the ones taking the brunt of the hit, but they're the ones who hired people and didn't see the downturn or the shift coming. Right, and it may not be their fault, right? COVID-19 caused massive layoffs in some biz- divisions and some businesses mm-hmm. and nobody saw it coming because that How could you saw painted. But like, it's not your fault. It's leadership's fault that the company needs to let you go or let other people go. And now everyone's overworked. And so anyone who tries to give you guilt for that, one, they're not your friend. <laughs> Good rule of thumb. <laughs> uh, yeah, thumb. Right. Anyone who tries <laughs> to give you guilt or pushback for you doing what's best for you is harming you. Like they're, you have to understand and and accept that you are not the company and the company is not you and what's good for you and what's good for the company. When those don't align, that's fine. Right. When, when the company doesn't need people anymore, they let them go. Right. That's fine. When the company can't support your career, when it can't support your, just job when it needs too much more than you're willing to give it that's fine you can go too right it's it's a two-way street right uh any more thoughts about uh when you're in the new normal of a shrinking company we covered titles we covered workload we covered aligning with the you know the the new strategy Mm -hmm. Uh, and we covered transferring to another division is there anything else we should talk about or i think that's it. Uh, i think that's mostly it i guess some some random thoughts i had in my head were like you touched on one of them which was basically like tinkering with like 
database optimization versus just paying for the next tier or something like that. And I guess it was kind of similar to this idea for me for for people who really love refactoring and and testing and adding test coverage where it's missing. Those are the things that are sometimes uh, not as cared for as you can imagine in a shrinking company because uh, they're trying to you know they're trying to either repair a product or do a last ditch effort to see if product's worth it or switch to again like the, the bread and butter part. And if that refactorization of maybe the bread and butter part of the application would lead to more money by cutting costs and bettering optimization and that kind of thing, then then perhaps you, you could still get that done. But for folks that are really into those kinds of things, that's when stuff gets cut. And you're like, oh, we've always wanted to upgrade this thing. That's not going to happen right now. <laughs> yeah, that's no, it. it's... Yeah. Yeah, it depends on what the new thing is. If you're shifting to cash cow mode, there might not even be an attempt to ever come out with a new version. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just keep the lights on, keep collecting bill, keep collecting money until all the customers quit, but put in no effort or the absolute minimum. <laughs> no, that's Very literally what a cash cow means. It's, yeah, you, yeah. You just burn it to the ground or you, you don't burn it to the ground. You let it burn out. <laughs> Careful rephrasing. Uh, but yeah, I think that's yeah, that's one thing I'm thinking of like that uh, would impact the work that you're doing. And then too, if you see um, <clears throat> from if, if there were product lines that were killed off and then folks from those products were either laid off or, or the ones that remained get reallocated, you'll see a lot of hurried onboarding into other teams mm. uh, to to you know put them towards the products that they think will matter. Um a sudden, you know, abandonment of all the other products that people don't care about, or like, a, or, or a um, vaporware kind of <laughs> uh, indefinite <clears throat> suspension of certain products or projects that we we're working on. Um, so your work changes, and suddenly you get, you know, stuck with onboarding people, um, and then a lot of a lot of new meetings about, you know, maybe how we how we're going to restructure. Uh, selling things uh, <laughs> god i'm exhausted just thinking about those meetings <laughs> that's about yeah. all i got for it yeah it's less of a strategy more just of a general good practice the, the I, I don't know remember who said it but somebody once said you know, uh, documentation is a love letter you write to your future self yeah never like more true than in a <laughs> in a layoff uh where especially for the next person, you know, who might be coming on from another team, it's always a great time to write documentation. In fact, I can see that being one of the worst things to, to not do at that point, mm-hmm. not on, on top of layoffs and team relocation. Now you've got to spend instead of, you know, days going through well-written uh, documentation and readmes and, you know, onboarding that way weeks trying to like uh, better the documentation on services that you all the new people can't boot up because it wasn't up, up to date because right, <laughs> the docs are of sync. Yeah. <clears throat> One last point that I just remembered along this line mm-hmm. uh, was told to me by my first manager, uh, and it's true and it's counterintuitive. The worst thing that you can be in, uh, there's a tendency, there, there's a subset of people who are like, oh, I'm not going to document this stuff and I'm not going to teach and I'm going to be the only one who understands this code and I'm going to be unreplaceable. Oh. <laughs> and 
my first manager said, yes, that you, you could make yourself unreplaceable. But when you do that, you also make yourself unpromotable. And right. his point was, right, if you are so critical to this thing that they couldn't dare get rid of you, then they also wouldn't dare promote you. You're, you're stuck. They need you right there. <laughs> right where you're at. When layoffs are looming, you might survive the first round by being unreplaceable. But as the new normal stretches out, if you remain unreplaceable, which means that you can't be shifted around, you can't be moved up or down, you know, in terms of the changing product strategy, you're now a liability. And in terms of the cost cutting, you know, cut the cost strategy, because they can't cut the costs of what you're doing and then reallocate you somewhere else. You're just a fixture. You people who are unreplaceable during a shrinking period look very much like targets to be replaced. Right. Whereas people who can be shifted around, cool, they can be shifted around to match the new strategy. Yeah, so, it's, it's adaptive. People like those who can adapt to, to their, their changing business environment. Right. So the beyond it just being a terrible career move, the idea that, oh, I'm unreplaceable. If you ever think to yourself, oh, I'll survive the layoff, I'm unreplaceable. Realize that you have a bright red target on your back. <laughs> make your Start working to make yourself replaceable because otherwise... They will want to get rid of you just to get the pain over with because they might not even care. Like it might just be, oh, we can't replace this person and they're critical and it, they make it too expensive. So we're just going to cut the, that project, that product completely. And now suddenly you're replaced. You're not even needed. That or start telling you, hey, we're going to train you to start delegating a lot of those responsibilities. And they mm -hmm. suddenly make you replaceable by, you know, training everyone else to do bits and pieces of it. That's the polite version. Yeah, <laughs> that's no like they're doing you a favor if they make if they force you to make yourself replaceable they are doing you a favor. Yeah, because the alternative is they'll just cut. All right, any other parting thoughts? No, I'm Jeffrey Sherman, and this has been uh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Isaac uh, Askew, and this right. is never rewrite. <laughs> yes, it's never rewrite. <laughs>